you have a beautiful voice. Like, you know, just, just let it go. Let Thank it go. You. Hello and welcome to Sons of Thunder, the podcast where two laymen and a priest attempt to run the marathon of life together, but have to keep stopping to pick each other back up. Gentlemen, good afternoon. How are you? Thanks. Doing really good. Excellent. Uh, have you fallen over recently, physically or spiritually? No, I managed to walk from a pub at City Beach to a pub at Scarborough yesterday without falling over once. In the middle of a work day? Well, in the middle of a day that most people were at work, yes. <laughs> That's a decent walk. Yeah, it's about 3Ks or 4Ks maybe. Yeah. There was incentive. It's like a um, like holding a fishing line you know, out in front of you because there was more beer at the other end when we got there. So we're going to begin a podcast about saints by talking about you doing a pub crawl. Well, didn't the monks in the Middle Ages preserve beer making? And if it, if it wasn't for the monks, we wouldn't have beer? I'm sure there is something about holiness somewhere in the middle of that. I'm not. I'm not. For the Benedictines, I reckon. <laughs> But to answer your question, Sam, uh, I don't recall having fallen over recently. Although I did, uh, I, I was walking down the stairs at night time and I turned around the corner too quickly and I think I may have put my knee through the plaster because it was only the next day when I looked, I'm like, oh, there's a hole in the plaster. I don't recall seeing that before. Do you recall a moment where your momentum stopped? Oh, I do remember having a very sore knee, yes. Right. But I was... So busy about getting to the end of the stairs, I didn't actually stop to bother. And I do have this bad habit of walking around the house at night time without lights on. So you're just, mm -hmm. you're just piecing the clues together to yes. work out what probably happened. Yes. <laughs> now, in this episode, we, we have decided to speak about saints and sanctity and sainthood and everything to do with saints. Everything to do with saints is going to be well, a long one. Well. Might be a summary. Any, well, random things. How about that? Some random things, things to do with saints. Some things to do with saints. <laughs> Saint things. Saintly things. There you go. Saint things. At the beginning of the walk around the world, Father Dave, you introduced me to a particular saint. Do you remember who it was? Saint Leopold Mundich. Mundich, yeah. Now, Saint Leopold I'd never heard of before. I'm intrigued. Tell me more. Do you know him, Father? Uh, Father, what's your name? Marty? <laughs> <laughs> no, but he is a father. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, he father. But it's not. But it's not the title that I. <laughs> and um, you too. <laughs> no, tell me more. Uh, Saint Leopold. Never heard of Saint Leopold. I had never heard I... of him either. And Father Dave happened to have a is it second class relic? It's a bit of cloth from his robe. Yeah, which so, he gave um, to me. Very small man. I think he was only like four foot two or something. Four foot five. I actually Four looked it five. up just before this. Yeah, 131 centimetres. Yeah. From Padua in Italy. He is the Yoda of saints. In the fact that his sentences were all back to front. He was tiny and wore a brown capuchin cloak. Right. He did have a very long beard. And really big green ears. Well. <laughs> <laughs> or is that he, where the analogy falls apart? That's, that's where he used his Franciscan hood to hide them. <laughs> but basically he uh his big desire was to work for the unity between catholics and orthodox and he wanted that to be his whole mission but i think 
for whatever reason, his superiors basically said, no, you're not going to do that. You're going to now work forever in this small little parish in Padua. I think a lot of it was his health. He was very sickly. Yeah, it, it wasn't particularly that. healthy to send out into the mission field. Yeah. But anyway, he basically decided to spend the rest of his life in the confessional and make that like his, his sacrificial offering for the union between East and West, Catholic and Orthodox. And so he became one of these saints of the confessional where he just, like 18 hours a day or something hearing confessions. Mm -hmm. And so in Padua, they've actually got his hand, which is incorrupt. So part of the whole process of becoming a saint, at some point they open your coffin and they found that his hand hadn't corrupted. Uh, it was the hand that he prayed the prayer of absolution with. Yeah. And it actually, like, like all incorrupt things, we can talk about this later. It looks really weird because they've just like just got this one hand looking at you. But yeah, he, he was quite an amazing guy. It was quite mm. a pivotal moment too, to walk from Brazil all the way to Italy and then to be able to spend time in, in that church and see the hand. And I carried with me that little bit of cloth from his robe that you'd mm. given me at the start. But over the course of the journey, there were a lot of saints who so I... you could say to St. Leopold's hand, I've got your, um, I've got, I've got your jacket. <laughs> you start piecing everything <laughs> back together. <laughs> there, there were plenty of saints who I encountered in some way, shape or form over the course of the journey. Uh, everyone from a, a very modern saint in St. Oscar Romero. In, and he wasn't a saint yet when I walked through. Uh, he's in mm. El Salvador, but I went to his tomb. He was assassinated in 1980 during the, was he elevating the host or the chalice? I think the, the chalice, but it was during the consecration. He was yeah. assassinated in El Salvador. He was a bishop, wasn't he? He was, yeah, archbishop. There's a, uh, there's a movie about him called Romero, I think. There is, yeah. From my memory of seeing this movie years ago, I think he was like elected or chosen, you know, to be bishop or archbishop. And the political leaders thought that he'd be a bit of a puppet and do, you know, what they wanted. He wouldn't. That was where the controversy was, isn't it? He, he stood, a, he basically took a stand at a political level as well. So there's a lot of controversy yeah. about that to begin with. So remember, he took, took, took a stand against the oppression. Yeah, I remember seeing that, him going into a church that was occupied by these soldiers to remove the Blessed Sacrament, the Eucharist, from the tabernacle. And the soldiers start off teasing and wouldn't let him and eventually shot up the tabernacle and he just in front of them pick, picked up all the hosts and and took them away yeah, and eventually the the government or the over the political sort of violent political people they they killed him because he wouldn't he wouldn't conform with what they wanted it also put a lot of pressure on them yeah mm. but then also saint juan diego uh, and our lady of guadalupe in mexico uh, saint francis of assisi saint catherine of siena saint luke this is one of the really interesting ones when i was in padua so the same day that I went to the Church of St. Leopold Mandich, I also went to a, I think it's a basilica. So there was St. Anthony of Padua, and then in between, there's another basilica. And in that basilica that day, I was a directed, a priest said, go and check it out, because they happened to have on display a very small icon of the Blessed Virgin Mary that is attributed to St. Luke, the evangelist, who wrote the Gospel oh, of Luke wow. and, the, and the Acts of the Apostles. So one of four that are attributed to St. Luke. Mm. Saw so the, I guess, the flow and effect of saints Cyril and Methodius through Russia and Belarus and, and Poland. And then, of course, St. John Paul II, St. Faustina and St. Maximilian Kolbe in Poland. 
Saint James the Apostle in northern Spain, his tomb being at Santiago de Compostela. So it was it was difficult to get away from the saints, really. It's difficult to get away from the saints. That's a new take on the communion of saints, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> they are everywhere. So growing up, can I start with this? Who did you guys choose as your confirmation saints? I chose uh, Francis of Assisi, which probably like most people, because I liked animals and he liked animals, and that was as far as I really knew about him. But my big belief is that the confirmation saints often choose you as well, or, or at least they come looking for you in later life. And uh, mm. that was very much the case that I think Francis hunted me down in a good way, not, not like some sort of creepy, stalky kind of way. But uh, he played then played a big part in my sort of real rediscovery of Christianity when I was at university. No, I think that's fairly common. I think St. Francis Sisi is massively misunderstood by certainly by the world because there's this popular impression that yeah he just it's just a dude and he liked animals and stuff and that so he's really just a greeny bit of a hippie mm. but if you dig into it yes that was sort of largely true but he was the most hardcore preach the gospel sacrifice preach the gospel and at all times and preach the gospel at all times and occasionally use words yeah, and sacrifice, you know, his his body for the gospel until he finally died a, a wrecked mess because he'd given every drop of blood that he had in him. In G.K. Chesterton's biography of St. Francis of Assisi, he uses an analogy that I, I think is absolutely stunning in describing St. Francis of Assisi. The world sees all these buildings as great monuments to our ingenuity and intelligence. But St. Francis saw them as if you had turned the world upside down and all of a sudden these really big, heavy buildings are just going to fall off the face of the earth and all of a sudden they're very fragile. And essentially St. Francis saw the world upside down to how everyone else saw it. And what, what we saw as strong and fortified, St. Francis could see as weak and fragile and so he went mm. after what actually was strong mm. i also chose saint francis of assisi i had put a lot of thought and prayer into it and the funny thing is i had a bit of a toss-up between saint patrick and saint francis it just so happened that the church that we go to has a very strong link to saint patrick and to the irish and when i chose saint francis eventually the nun at our parish said to me oh, thank goodness you actually put thought into it and didn't just choose St. Patrick like everyone else. And I remember thinking, <laughs> oh, wow, like I've, I've completely dodged a bullet here from this nun. because Made I, the nun I happy. Had, oh, I'd put a lot of thought into it and I very nearly did choose St. Patrick. Patrick's mm. awesome. Yeah. Pa Patrick needs to be promoted a whole lot. He's another one who I think is often misrepresented. Well, yeah. What, wasn't he a snake catcher or something? No, he, he picked bits of clover <laughs> part of the problem was that uh one of the main biographies of patrick was only written about three or four hundred years later and uh it, they wove into it all sorts of grand miracles and stuff which didn't actually really happen but we, but we do actually have patrick's own biography or his autobiography that he wrote about his own mission and so uh, along with Augustine, slightly different sorry Slightly yeah, different, yeah, quite different. And but but, but along with Saint Augustine, <laughs> they're, they're they're both kind of the earliest autobiographies of saints that we have in the church. Yeah, so he 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 was tough. Like he he had a difficult mission. Um, but I think in a, in a world which needs to relearn how to evangelize in a post-Christian world, there's a lot we can learn from Patrick. 
St. Patrick, patron saint of Ireland, engineers against the fear of snakes and snake bites. Mm. St. Patrick, pray for us. I'm just reading from my saint cards. Amen. Um, you got, have you, you've seen these, Sam? Have you? Yeah, I have. Play these, yeah. Father Dave, did I show you these when you were around? No. So there's a, you can buy these cards. Like you go to saintcards.com and you can buy these packs of cards and you can play like memory games with them. There's a, card for it there's saint patrick's card and it's got various like you know when they were born and where they were and stuff and you match them up with other saints so it's really handy for like teaching yourself or kids or something like about the saints but yeah, it's pretty cool so i'm just looking up on the cast i found the saint patrick card so i can quickly reference <laughs> what is the patron saint of if you ever go, get to go to ireland you've got to go and climb crow patrick which is Barefoot. Reputed to be the mountain where Patrick fasted for 40 days before he started his mission. Mm -hmm. It's just an awesome mountain. It's definitely worth climbing. Um, It's on the west coast of Ireland. Oh, yeah. Forget the town. Not not near near Dublin. No, No, I've always associated it with near Galway. Just north of Galway. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Actually, a cool little trivia question Where is St. Patrick from? Uh, of, course, of course, the answer is not Ireland. Dumbarton in Scotland. Oh, okay. somewhere over there. Who came? Who came? And then, and then, and then somewhere he... over there. <laughs> the best research, Jess, it is. I've got skin in this game because my my dad is from Dumbarton, so I would like to know ah. a bit of an ancestral, well, at least at least you know he's from our place. You know, that's much more specific than any part of like Europe, east of Ireland. Well, in, in Patrick's I said Austria. biography, he, <laughs> he, he names the town he was from and it's believed to have been right on the border of the wall. So, so Hadrian's Wall, like where yeah. the Romans couldn't conquer the Scots and so they built this massive six-metre-high brick wall to stop any Scottish people coming in. And this was like the last Roman settlement before the coast. And so it's right near the Clyde River. Uh, and that's where they believe the Irish raiders came in and captured him and took him into slavery. Well, that was actually what I was about to ask. Is it ah. true that he did go there as a slave initially and then, went, then got away or was let go, then went and studied in France? Yeah, there's, there's, there's a very much a French connection. He, well, it, it's, so some of the stuff I've read, it's a bit unclear as to whether he went back to Britannia or went straight down to France, which it was then called Gaul. But he did study in some of the early monasteries, some of the monasteries that had been started by people like St. Martin of Tours and St. Hilary of Poitiers, however you pronounce that in French. Um, all that really matters is that his Latin name, or the, the Latin name of St. Hilary is St. Hilarius. Um, that's the <laughs> fact you need to remember. Um, but yeah, he had very much a connection with the early monks and then basically evangelized through monasticism. He, well, he, he went and evangelized, but then he started a whole series of monasteries all through Ireland, which later on ended up saving Europe because those Irish monks were basically called in as the crack team to go and re-evangelize the north of Germany and save Europe at the point of, you know, it all falling apart during the Dark Ages. Mm. Mm. And Marty, who'd you choose? I chose Salvatore which means saviour, which is Jesus. And I checked that you're allowed to do that and the priest said it was okay. <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny, this doesn't surprise me. 
that the priest said it was okay. <laughs> no, as in, I remember asking you last year, who's your favourite saint? And you just straight up said the Blessed Virgin Mary. Yeah. It was, you always go for the absolute top gun. <laughs> well, I did, I did want to talk about the Blessed Virgin Mary. Seems appropriate. But I want to um, talk about the difference between, what are the words, the Greek words, Latria and... Latria, Dulia and Dulia. Dulia. Hello, my Which name is Dulia. Be, might, <laughs> might be a good uh, segue just into what, like what the Catholic Church talks about saints, because there's maybe a bit of, I think, maybe confusion with some other denominations talking about worship of saints or, you know, praying to saints or what that means. And I'm, I'll, I'll give you my take on it. You can critique it. But my understanding is... So, Marty, what do you think? Oh, glad you asked. Um, there's some different different words used with different concepts. There's this lautria, which means worship, which is reserved for God alone. Which is basically Father, adoration. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then there's this other word, dulia, which means veneration sort of thing. It's a slightly less worshipful. Honour. Which is used, yeah, honour, which is used to describe the people who have been in the fight and, and conquered with Jesus and the church now sort of guarantees that they're in heaven, but they're not, they're obviously not God. And it's a different, so it's a two different sort of concepts. And then there's another one, Julia, hyper Julia, as in enormous Julia, which is uh, described as the Blessed Virgin, <laughs> full of Blessed Virgin Mary, which we've spoken about before, but our tainted nature's solitary boast. Mm. Um, Mary, Jesus's mother. Absolutely. She's my favorite. 100%. So what is the process by which a person becomes a saint? Because you cannot become a saint while alive, correct? Correct. Big S. Actually, here we go. What's the difference between saint with a small S and saint with a big S? One's got a small S and one's got a big S. Correct. One might and be at the start on. of a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> so a saint with a big S is like a canonized saint, like declared by the church yes guaranteed to be in heaven and saint with a small s those in the church yeah, yeah on the way on the way yeah so the scriptures yeah saint paul refers to the saints of god you know being all the christians in the church but the church has had this tradition since the earliest centuries of almost sort of recognizing the role models you know the people who have lived lives of heroic virtue and it's not so much that they're particularly any different to the rest of us. It's almost like we're just holding them up as a role model, like to say, well, you know, the way they lived virtue was really clear and obvious. And so they become an example for the rest of us. Now, there's two miracles needed, isn't there? Or are there actually, are there there's sort of two different, like in ancient times, there's this sort of pop, popular decree kind of saints have been declared because it was obvious from the, the masses of people that we, yeah, um, so, generated them and as opposed to church investigation and stuff? The, the kind of the origin of the process was really with the martyrs. So the mm. church had this idea that to give your life for Christ is the greatest act of discipleship or following. And so we always had confidence that anyone who died for being persecuted for following Jesus, they were believed to go straight to heaven. Like that, that sacrifice itself washed them clean of all sin. 
that still is the belief that anyone who is, dies as a martyr is automatically believed to be a saint. The church after that then had this idea of, you know, the church recognising by popular acclaim someone who lived a holy life. Uh, however, over time, the church realised that that wasn't always a foolproof way of doing it. And so they needed to investigate to understand the background. And so the church is actually pretty rigorous in its testing of the saints. Uh, sometimes people assume that we want to make people saints just because we like them. Uh, but the actual process virtually tries to prove that they're not a saint. And I actually, I was going to say met a person, but didn't meet a person. I learned of a, a person in Brazil for who that was the case. So everyone in the town in uh, northeastern Brazil was pushing for Padre Cicero to become a saint. In fact, they'd built a huge shrine and for them, they considered him a saint. But the Vatican had said no. So in their investigation, they found a few things, which was actually links to some unsavory characters and I'm not really sure what those, you know, how strong those links were. But whatever they found in their research caused them to, to say no to canonization. The whole term that we use of, of devil's advocate, that, that's actually an official role in the canonization process, that someone is given the job of trying to dig up all the possible dirt they can find and go through every letter, every relationship, try to find every bit of dirt and prove that they're not a saint. And if they get through that claim, then they move to the next stage. Get the legal team assembled. I'm the, uh, I'm the lawyer, I'm the barrister, I'm the advocate, and I'm the devil's advocate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the smile on your face, Marty, seemed to indicate <laughs> that once you're done with engineering, you now know what your next job is. <laughs> <laughs> Get paid to dig up people's dirt. Uh, but God. then part of the process is asking people to intercede to that saint. So once a person kind of goes through the initial stages, they get declared as being venerable. And so when someone is venerable, you're allowed to uh, basically encourage people to ask their intercession. And that's the point where I think you need one miracle to become a blessed and then two miracles to be declared a saint. Uh, so it's it's really and those and those from... those miracles always have to be investigated, don't they? By yes, and and yes. it's not so it's not just by a random person. Backed up that you know science can't explain how this happened through a healing or something like that, and and that's pretty rigorous that whole process. And is so venerable and blessed they're equivalent? Like that's the same, or is that a different? Are no, they three different, different phases. So, so venerable or? is like we've You're looked at this person line. enough that you can start asking their intercession. Yeah. Uh, but then once they've had a miracle attributed to them, then they become blessed. Yeah. Right. Makes sense. Mm. I just had a thought that, um, you know, talking about the martyrs early on, mm. um, well, and there's plenty of modern day martyrs as well, but St. Stephen in Acts where he's getting stoned and looks up into heaven and sees Jesus. I can't remember exactly what he sees in his vision. But that's a um, that must be a fairly good you know indication of you know the, the starting of the church's teachings there that that martyrs killed for Christ are, are on their way directly. So it was a pretty strong belief in the early church. They they talk about how when people knew they were going to be killed, like say in the Colosseum, uh, many other church members would come and 
basically present their prayers to them, asking them to take their prayers because they knew, you know, that afternoon they're going to be standing before, you know, the throne of God. And, and that's um, backed up by Revelation. Is it Revelation 5? I think it's chapter 5. But this is the, the saints in heaven with their bowls of incense, the prayers. Yes. Yeah, and the prayers, so the prayers of the church militant on earth that the, the saints in heaven present refine and make them more pure and present to God in Revelation. And I think, too, it's, it's really important that we do clarify that when we are praying to saints, we are not praying to the dead. In fact, we strongly believe that they are, if anything, more alive than us. And, and we're not actually praying to them. Uh, I, th I think that that's where it's often misunderstood because we're a little bit lazy in our language. Like, well, the Catholics understand what we're talking about. But other people hear that and say, oh, you're only meant to pray to God. Um, we're, we're really praying with the saints. Yes, in the um, same way that I may ask... Pray for us. Yeah, I might ask either of you to pray for me. Mm. Uh, we include even more so the saints in heaven in that. That's right, yeah. Now, I, I don't know if you could be able to tell me perhaps which saint this was, but I, I remember hearing about a saint or a person who was martyred in, I think, 150 AD, and that this became one of the, the first notable feasts venerated in the church. That particular martyrdom, the Christians at that time, every year on that date, would celebrate their martyrdom. Don't know. I wonder if it was Saint Lawrence. There were so many martyrs around that time, and and, and a very, very significant people as well. So you, you had a, a number of bishops who were being martyred around then. So Saint Polycarp, Saint Ignatius Polycarp. of Antioch. You know, the 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 churches that they led would have had a very strong veneration or following. Yes, I'm pretty sure it was Polycarp. St. Lawrence was a little bit later. I just looked that up. He was 225. So I've got um, Stephen's quote, the first martyr, as he's being stoned. I can see heaven thrown open, he said, and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. And all this, all the members of the council shouted out and stopped their ears with their hands, and they all rushed at him. Is there a, Sorry, I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit. If you had the opportunity to meet a saint in their everyday life, before they had passed into the next life and then been declared a saint. Is there a saint who you actually would have been a little bit tentative going into the company of? For, you know, for me, I'll, I'm thinking of someone like St. Pio of Petrogina going to confession. Mm. I think I would have found so confronting and yet I would want to go just because he had this habit of you go to confession, then he would tell you what he would tell you what you failed to confess and what you need to confess. So it's a word of knowledge of what you haven't confessed yet, uh, knowing that there's nothing you can hide in going to confession. Is there a saint who you would have been a little bit tentative going into the, you know, you, you are going to be exposed in some way? I would say Maximilian Colbo, mm. because... He actually, he reminds me a lot of St. Francis of Assisi. Yeah, we just look at the photos of him and he looks pretty hardcore, right? <laughs> he looks like he's not much of a compromiser, which is sort of evident in the way that he eventually died in Auschwitz with no compromise. Is that what it says on your saint card? St. Maximilian Kolbe, not a compromiser. No compromise. Apostle of consecration to Mary and against drug addiction, it says for St. Maximilian Kolbe. So apparently he was a bit of a wild kid, but found, you know, found Jesus and was studying in 
Rome and through some civil unrest and stuff with Masons and this kind of thing discovered Our Lady. The idea that the quickest, most surest and best way to sanctity is through veneration of, of Our Lady who will, who will point you to Jesus. You know, all the time. What, what do you feel like you'd be confronted if you did meet him? If you had cross paths, um, I just yeah, I just think he looks like a hard guy, which I sort of appreciate about that. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, I you, just think he'd absolutely call me up on where I was prepared to compromise. Um, so you're you're saying he would call you out? Yeah, that's certainly my impression. Other <laughs> Dave. Um, she's not actually a saint yet, but, um, Dorothy Day. So D- Dorothy Day was almost like America's version of Mother Teresa. Her cause she's, for canonization is still in process. So she's, the, the, she's not a singer. Is that another? Am I, I think it's Doris Day. Ah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, so, so Dorothy Day is actually fascinating because you can look up on YouTube and see interviews of her. I'll have to send you guys the link of this later on so you can look at it, but she, she had been a very active communist and then had a conversion and became very full-on Catholic. Um, but she's a sort of woman who would not put up with fools very easily. You know, she knew what she believed and she didn't like the, the whole kind of fanboy kind of thing that we have around saints in the church, you know, where everyone's like, oh, you're a saint, oh, you're holy. Yeah, she just wanted to do the work of God and you know, not worry about all that other stuff. So yeah, I'd, I would love to meet her, but I think she'd be the sort of person who would cut straight through all the rubbish and tell you exactly what she thought about you. St. <laughs> uh, Teresa of Avila, her horse and cart got stuck in the mud in the snow and she had to get out and push with a few other sisters. And as they were pushing the horse, the horse bolted and St. Teresa of Avila face planted into the mud and snow. And one of the other nuns overheard St. Teresa of Avila mutter under her breath, if this is how you treat your friends, no wonder you've got so few, which is actually her prayer to God at the time. Yeah, that's it. Uh, I think for most of them, there was a, a bit of, but St. Teresa of Avila, was she also cut to the chase. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It really shows a deep relationship, doesn't it, between mm. her and Jesus, you know, cut, cut, sort of <laughs> cut through the niceties into a, the mess of everyday life. So St. Teresa Evola, doctor of prayer, patron saint of lace workers and against headaches. Well, she, she had a lot of health problems herself, uh, which is probably where the patron saint of headaches comes into it. Yeah. Um, for, for a number of years, she had some medical problem where she'd occasionally just slip into comas and people thought that she was dead. And I think as part of the medical treatment, they were putting like hot irons on her head or something because they thought that would fix the problem. Good call. Uh, but that's, that's probably where the patron saint of headaches comes in. But, but a, key, a key part of this is that the saints were human. Like we, we very often think of the saints as being these, you know, sickly, holy, pious sort of types who walk around with their hands to press together in prayer the whole time. But they were just so completely human. They had bad days. They got frustrated. They... I'm absolutely fascinated with the fact that so many of the saints were friends with each other or they studied with each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because if you start to dig through the the, the, the lives of them, there, there's all these links. Yeah, like 
Francis de Sales was good friends with Vincent de Paul. St. Francis Xavier and Ignatius Loyola. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Even when you're talking about John Paul II, Maximilian Kolbe and uh, Faustina Kowalska. Yeah. They, they were all within a few hundred metres of each other. I don't know whether they actually knew each other, but JP2 was studying at the Archbishop's house, which was across the road from the church where Maximilian Kolbe was parish priest for a while. And at the same time, he was working in the stone quarry, which was just down the hill from Faustina's convent. So yeah, you had these little bubbles of sanctity going on where everyone was becoming a saint close to each other. And then St. Francis of Assisi, St. Clare of Assisi, St. Dominic and St. Anthony of Padua mm. were all there at the same time, Yes, roughly. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about St. Dominic because he's pretty cool. So He's very cool. The, 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 so St. Dominic, his symbol being a dog with a flaming torch running around the world flat out setting the world on fire. Now, allegedly, that's because his mother had a dream of her child when she was pregnant or before she was pregnant of her child um, being uh, a dog that ran around the world with a flame, with a torch in its mouth, setting the world on fire. And then someone at his baptism saw a star shining on his forehead. Yeah. So you'll often see the star as well. Yeah. And then there's a strange coincidence that Dominican or Dominicane in Latin basically means dogs of God. I reckon it's awesome. Ah, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, I don't, know, I don't know whether that's intentional. But so what about the rosary? St. Dominic was given the rosary or was instrumental? Well, in the... the story was that Mary gave, well, I asked Dominic to promote the rosary saying, I want you to promote the, well, I forget the term she used. What did she call it? Like the Marian Psalter? Yes. Um, the Psalter of Our Lady, yeah. Yeah. Because 150 the whole thing Hail Marys because... instead of 150 Psalms. Yeah, because people couldn't read, then they couldn't pray the Psalms, but they could pray the 150 Hail Marys. Yeah. And even nowadays, like I can read the Psalms, but like, cause I'm lazy, but I can say 150 Hail Marys really relatively, you know, easily. <laughs> Be a whole lot faster than trying to pray 150 Psalms. Yeah. But, but Dominic was an amazing evangelist in that, uh, I mean, we, we mentioned this in, one of the episodes in season one about the great heresy of the time being Albigensianism. And and how many Albigensians have you seen lately? You've probably seen quite a few. They're just not called Albigensians anymore. Or none of these heresies die. They're, they're, they're called Manichaeans <laughs> now, are they? <laughs> Dualists. Dualist. A lot of the uh, yeah. New Age religion is all still old dualism. But basically, Zoroastrians. The, the church was seen as being very wealthy and luxurious, uh, whereas the Albigensians lived a life of very extreme poverty because they believed that anything physical was bad and anything spiritual was good. Uh, and so Dominic basically decided to fight them by being just as poor as they were. So even though he was given all the wealth of the church with this whole so sort of Sorry? Was a well, yeah, he, he was basically given the role of like a papal legate, which... Is a legate someone them. who has to walk? They run. <laughs> Ironically, <laughs> no. The whole thing of being a legate is uh, you sit in a wagon and someone carries you. Ah. But he decided to legate instead. He, uh, <laughs> he redefined what it means to be a papal legate. <laughs> he took his shoes off and he walked everywhere and basically lived a real life of poverty to, to witness to the gospel. And... 
at a time when the church was trying to convert heretics by burning them, he said, maybe we should just talk nicely to them instead and use reason. And so that's why the Dominicans are great lovers of study and reason. Was it St. Dominic who mm. sat in a, I, I've got a feeling it was a pub, but it may not have been, might have been, you know, but anyway, sat in a pub with a guy who might didn't believe in God. House. And by, by dawn, the guy had converted, but they just discussed back and mm. forwards all night. Yeah. It was just in, in, just in discussion. And by, by dawn, he had converted. So that links us back to Marty's pub crawl at the beginning. He I was, was just thinking, we, I could have done that last <laughs> night, but I came home instead. You got the first part of the process right. <laughs> You've now just got to get the evangelization. Uh, the uh, Dominic's formula. Although I don't yeah. think your wife would like you walking in at dawn. No. no. Unless she's coming back from a run and he's got coffee. Maybe if I came in at dawn and ready to give the kids breakfast and take them to school. <laughs> well, actually, well, this is the other side of it too. It isn't just that the saints, a lot of the saints knew each other, but how often there is a family involved. So the, the classic being St. Augustine and Saint, his mother, St. Monica. But then the... Now that's pretty cool. St. Monica, who, like St. Augustine was, by his own confession, not you know, very saintly for a long time. And his mother, now St. Monica, prayed for him relentlessly. And eventually she was talking to the bishop saying, you know, you've got to pray for Augustine. And the bishop sent her away and said, as if, as if, he's, not, as if he's not going to convert because of the way you pray for him. Like, <laughs> it's going to happen. <laughs> Did he, did he convert before his mother passed away? Yes. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> he's, he's Bishop of Milan after Ambrose, wasn't he? Is that the chronology? Oh, of course. Okay, we'll go, we'll go with that. Sorry? I missed the comment. What was the... Uh, St. Augustine... Ambrose. St. Augustine was the Bishop of Milan, wasn't he? But straight after St. Ambrose? No. Oh. No, he was uh, Bishop of Hippo. Hippo. In Is that North, North Africa? Africa? North Africa. Oh, North Africa. Yeah. That's why they call him St. Augustine of Hippo, eh? That's right. As opposed to St. Augustine of Milan. Mm. Yep. Righto. <laughs> <laughs> but other, other, other family collections of saints. Uh, Teresa the Martins. Yeah, yeah the, the Martins. St. Louis yeah. and Zelie Martin, the parents of St. Teresa. And one of her other siblings was a nun, or maybe two of them. Uh, like all of them. Oh, all of them. Well, she had... What was it? It was a big family. Most of the kids died very young or very early as children. But of the five, I think it was five sisters, all of them entered the convent. Wow. Yeah. No pressure, Marty, with your three children? I was, kind of, I was thinking you were suggesting that I should enter a convent. I'm not sure how that was going to work. Um, I've got another, another family, family connection. St. Anne, Zechariah. John Mary. the Baptist. John the Baptist. <laughs> yeah, anyway. It's, well, actually, there's a significant grouping there, isn't there? Yeah, Elizabeth. Quite significant. You got anything else to yes, say? Yes, thanks, thanks, thanks for bringing that up. No, no that was all. <laughs> Pretty much every comment's coming back to Mary, I think, from Marty's side here. <laughs> well, you know. Marty, what's two plus two? Blessed you Virgin play, Mary. You play to your strengths, don't you? <laughs> So uh, archangels we call saints, even though they're not humans. Saint meaning holy, 
Right, Father Dave, can you give us a quick summation of what holiness actually is? A quick summation of what holiness actually is. Well, very simply, it is to allow yourself to be conformed into the image of Christ. Uh, if that sounds simple to you. So really, that's what Christianity is all about. Christianity is that we would become Christ in the world. We would become love, as Therese Lisieux would put it. So really, it's about just claiming the grace given to us in our baptism and cooperating with that grace every day to say, okay, God, do that work in me. And I think that's the key thing to realize that it's something which God does in us. A lot of people yeah. think that to become a saint, you've just got to do a whole bunch of really holy stuff and you've got to try really hard. Really, I think to become a saint, you've just got to get out of the way and let God do what he wants to do. It's just a matter of every day just saying yes and just saying, okay, God, do it in me in whatever way possible, whether that be through giving me the desire for prayer or by throwing all sorts of challenges and sufferings where I'm going to have to learn how to love through that. But it's really about every day choosing love. The writings of St. Therese of Lisieux probably had a bigger effect on me than any other saint's writings mm. on that call to holiness and on, as you put it there, on getting out of the way, which was her simple path. Yeah. So, so when Therese Lisieux died at the age of 24, and declared a saint but also then declared a doctor of the church for her writings and and yeah very simple formula which was just let yourself be loved and i think this is the thing that so often people forget mm. they think it's all about us having to love god and then try really hard whereas actually the first thing is about let yourself be loved and, and the more you let yourself be loved the more you naturally are filled with gratitude and want to love god back Whereas we grit our teeth and try and love God and we don't really enjoy it. And then we don't really want to be loved. <laughs> and this is where you just get up with Christians angry and bitter and twisted. Like a three-year-old trying to be hugged by someone and the three-year-old just wants to go and play instead. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Like if you told a, a three-year-old your job is to try and love your parents, they're, they're, <laughs> you're going to screw them up pretty badly very quickly. Um, <laughs> But if you just say their job is to be loved by their parents, then mm. that love is just going to transform them and change their whole being. So there's this quote from St. Therese of Lisieux. She must have been around the time she was dying where the other or some other nuns in a convent were saying, you know, I can understand why you're, um, I'm paraphrasing this, you know, I can understand why you're confident, you know, in going to, you know, dying and going to the arms of Jesus because you've, you know, we've lived with you for ages. We've never even seen you sin ever kind of kind of thing. And she said, I've seen the mercy of God. It wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter how bad my sins are. I've seen the mercy of God. I've seen the way he looks at Magdalene, as in Mary Magdalene, and, I'm, you know, full confidence in, in his, his love of me. Therese had an really amazing, touching, you know. Yeah, Therese had an amazing understanding of the mercy of God. Um, if you read some of her letters and, and what she wrote in her autobiography, her basic idea was that if she was sinning, it was because God wasn't working hard enough. Um, she, she's very much mm. like the precocious little child, always throwing it back at her father, saying, well, if you love me more, then I wouldn't be tempted. So you've just got to love me more and then I'll stop sinning. <laughs> but, it, but it's just this amazing confidence. You know, whereas everyone else goes and hides in shame and basically feels unworthy of coming towards God. She would actually go deeper 
and just say, look, give me more love, give me more love, then I won't sin. Mm. And if Marty's children are listening to this podcast right now, go it's for my it. my fault. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your father has not loved you enough. <laughs> There's no dispute here. <laughs> but getting back to that whole thing of what is holiness, uh, one of the ways I describe this often is that there are three ways of holiness. Two of them are wrong and one of them is correct. Oh. <laughs> the, the, the two ways that most people think about holiness, I would describe as, well, firstly, the holiness high jump, where you assume that I'm here down in the realm of sin and all the saints are way up there in the realm of virtue. And I've just got to try hard every day. You know, I've got to try and be like France of Assisi or Therese Lazure and grit my teeth and be virtuous. And I can never quite jump high enough. And I keep falling down. And you can only do that so often before you then give up. I think a lot of people who have, like say a conversion when they're a teenager or a young, young adult, and they're so suddenly full of zeal, I'm gonna become like the saints tomorrow. And within a couple of weeks, they're crushed in you know, absolute discouragement and disappointment and they give up. Or, or they just settle back down to saying, I'm never gonna be a saint. I'll just be mediocre and God has to put up with me. Other people see holiness like the mountain climb where once again, I'm down in the depths and the saints are up in the heights, but every day I've got to grit my teeth and try really hard and force myself to be good. And that's where you end up seeing people who kind of look virtuous, but they look really unhappy. And they're probably a little bit angry and self-righteous because they're trying so hard. They want to be appreciated. Whereas I think the real journey of holiness is where you start off trying to be good and the more you try and be good, you so, the more you sort of realize just how bad you actually are. Mm. And it feels like you're actually getting worse and worse until you eventually hit this point where you realize, you know what, I can't be good. I need a savior. I need somebody else to do it for me. And it's that point when you almost give up and you say, God, help me. At that point, you actually start to climb back up again. But, but you're climbing so much faster because it's not based on your own work. It's actually based on an encounter with God's mercy. I remember a time in church it, um, at Mass and I was really depressed with what was going on and I was really angry with the people around me. And um, I was in Mass and I was just praying saying this to, to Jesus, saying this is terrible, like this anger that's, that I've got and like it's really ugly and I'm sort of, I don't like it, but it's really ugly and, but this is me. And I felt Jesus say back, you were, you were even uglier when I first met you. <laughs> <laughs> it's that sort of thing where you can have someone trying really hard to love somebody for years. So, you know, so say you've got a particular relationship, which is difficult and you're trying to forgive them. You're trying to love them. You're trying to love them. And you're just stuck in resentment. It's only at that point when you realize I just can't do it anymore. You know, I've just got so much anger. I can't get over this. But if, if at that point you actually say, God, you've got to do it in me. That's when you start to see things get transformed. Um, mm -hmm. you know, at some point we've got to surrender into it and say, I'm really bad. You know, like the more I've tried to be good, the more I realize just how screwed up and messed up my heart is. And that I actually need God to intervene and do it in me. Yeah, we're going to have to wrap up here in a moment, but, and I have no idea if this is going to tie oh, I thought in. we were only just getting started. Oh, we are. That's the problem, isn't it? Maybe we can do another one in a, in a, in a moment. We do episode 14 on Saints Part 2. 
But mm. we're going to wrap up here in a moment. I've got no idea if this ties in, but Father Dave, I know that one of the missionaries of God's love patron saints is St. Alphonsus Liguri. Yes. I know nothing about him, but, I'm, but I've seen him his name in your home. Yeah. Can you tell us something about him? Who is he? Why is he one of your patron saints? You've got about one minute. So very quickly, Alphonsus Liguri uh, was around the 1700s, a great missionary in Italy. He was using very unorthodox methods of evangelization for the time, which is part of why he's a patron of ours, trying to really work on the new evangelization. Alphonsus is a fascinating character because he struggled all of his life with scrupulosity. So he doubted the mercy of God. He really struggled to believe that God would forgive him. Uh, but he battled through that and eventually became declared a doctor of the church for his writings about the mercy of God. And I think it's a great example of how often the things that the saints become their best at are actually the things they struggle with the most, and particularly areas of doubt. And I always hold this as when people think, oh, I, I, I'm doubting my faith too much. I think I need to walk away. No, you're, like, you're actually on the verge of becoming a saint. Like if you pursue that doubt and really go deeper in the mystery, then God's going to do something amazing through you. Alphonsus is an amazing example of perseverance to the end. He, he suffered enormously. So his whole life of trying to start the Redemptress was really hard. Eventually, his body started to break down. I think at the age of 80, he was made a bishop. He'd, he'd refused the offer a number of times, and finally the church forced him at the point where he was virtually physically crippled. And then right at the end, his own brothers kind of deceived him got him to sign this document because of some internal politics in the Redemptorists. And as a result, he got kicked out of the order that he started. And so he died basically as a cripple outside of his own religious order, having struggled all of his life. But yeah, an amazing example of someone just faithful to the end and just loving right to the end. I found his, I found his card in the Saints cards. It says, most zealous doctor and prince of moralists, doctor of the church and bilocator. Oh, really? That's news for all of us. Yeah. Something for part two. <laughs> Marty, if you've got pictures for all those uh, saints, there's one saint, which uh, I think his name's called St. James the Cut to Pieces. James the what? Oh, gee, how do you get that name? <laughs> James yeah, the Cut to Pieces. St. James the Cut to Pieces is his name. I, I'd love to see... Uh, the prayer card that you've got with his his picture on that one. Yeah, I'm pretty. There's two Jameses in here, the greater and the lesser, but they're both apostles. Pretty pretty sure you're talking about a different one. Yeah, different one. Yes. Was it was it Saint Lawrence who was skinned alive or barbecued? He was barbecued. Yep. Ah, I'm done on this side. Turn me over. An actual quote from Saint Lawrence for those for the listeners. And he is now the patron saint of barbecues. <laughs> who Seriously. says the church doesn't have a sense of humor <laughs> the church has got such a quirky sense of humor you um know, saint joseph of cupertino is the patron saint of aviators because he used to levitate he was awesome saint claire is the patron saint of televisions because she once was too sick to go to mass and so she had a vision of mass at the end of her bed and so <laughs> it's like the first mass for you at home back in the 1200s or so we just got to mention saint guinefort before we go which you oh, sent yeah, through to us the other day, Father Dave. This is quite a fascinating 
You you go, you go. Well, as we're saying about how the church decided to really do serious investigation into saints because of sometimes popular acclaim was not enough. I remember hearing this story when I was studying church history that, uh, was it was it in Italy? I sent you guys the- France. It was in France. Okay, yeah. let me read it. Saint Guinefort <laughs> was a 13th century French dog that received local <laughs> veneration as a folk saint after miracles were, were reported at his grave. And, and the suffix never recognised officially by the Catholic Church, but the cult persisted until the 1930s. Wow. So there had been a local veneration of this and uh, the church did some, did some digging into the history and found that it wasn't actually a person. <laughs> with it was with a two greyhound. front paws. <laughs> so I showed, this, I showed this to my eight-year-old daughter last night uh, who had, she hasn't made her confirmation, but she wants, she wants Joan of Arc as her confirmation saint. And I showed her the picture of St. Guinefort and she said, you've made my life really difficult. But she loves dogs. <laughs> so, yeah. St. Guinefort, bark for us. Yes. Shall we, shall we wrap up? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Let's, um, name, yeah. Let's salute <laughs> each other awkwardly. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the gift of sanctity, for purifying us, for calling us deeper into your love. We thank you, Lord, for the witness of the saints, for the perseverance of faith of all those who have inspired us. We pray, Lord, for your blessing on us as we continue to let go and to immerse deeper into your love. All you holy men and women, all you saints and angels, pray, pray for, for us. us. We'll say the Magnificat, Mary's Prayer in, in Luke. So I think this is not, you know, this is common amongst all the saints. This is the essence of sainthood. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit exalts in God, my Saviour, because he has looked upon his lowly handmaid. Yes, from this day forward, all generations will call me blessed, for the Almighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name, and his mercy reaches from age to age for those who fear him. He has shown the power of his arm. He has routed the proud of heart. He has pulled down princes from their thrones and exalted the lowly. The hungry he has filled with good things, the rich sent away empty. He has come to the help of Israel, his servant, mindful of his mercy. According to the promises he made to our ancestors, of his mercy to Abraham and to his descendants forever. We pray that you would bless us and anyone who's listening, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Gentlemen, congratulations, no one, for the first time ever, mentioned C.S. Lewis. Oh, while we're at it. <laughs> I, was, I was waiting for Marty to go in. I, I was like, hoping he would jump in. I was actually looking up some C.S. Lewis quotes earlier, but that was for a different thing. <laughs> they, don't, they don't necessarily have to be relevant. <laughs> Do they? <laughs> Never stopped you before. <laughs> um, thanks, guys. I get a lot out of these, just listening to it. So human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God, which will make him happy. Was that C.S. Lewis? That was C.S. Lewis. Sure is. Oh, you had to, you had to, you just couldn't. You couldn't let it go. Okay. <laughs> hey, Father Dave, could you guess what Marty and I had both studied before coming into this? Um, where Marty and I sounded kind of intelligent and you just sat there. The hyperdulia stuff. Hey! <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, I, I was Googling it. <laughs> we did yesterday. Yeah, but, you know, I thought, I thought you two had handled it so poorly that you could just leave, let it go. 